Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the Reverend Dr. Julie Nemechek. Dr. Nemechek is originally from Chicago but Michigan has been home for many years. She and her wife, Joanne, have been married for 47 years with three married sons and seven grandchildren. In 2007, Julie made national news when she was fired from Spring Arbor University when she came out as a transgender woman. While at Spring Arbor University, Julie led the university into online education, developed three graduate programs, and was recognized internationally as an expert in adult education. She also served as the president of the Christian Adult Higher Education Association. Julie wanted to keep her job as an associate professor of adult studies, teaching business and communications, at Spring Arbor University, but the university wanted her gone. She left Spring Arbor after a mediated settlement of her EEOC complaint. Before joining Spring Arbor University, she had served in pastoral ministry for 20 years. In 2008, Julie was appointed co-executive director for the LGBTQ civil rights organization, Michigan Equality. She was the first transgender person to serve as executive director for a statewide civil rights organization. Julie has spoken at numerous colleges and universities, as well as dozens of churches. She served on three national boards working for LGBT equality, including the National PFLAG Board of Directors. Currently, Julie is serving on the board of Outwords. Outwords is the first ever national project to document the remarkable evolution of the LGBTQ community over the past several decades through on-camera interviews with people who led, participated in, or simply witnessed it. Julie and her wife are featured in the soon-to-be-released collection of the stories of 75 leaders and activists on the front lines of the LGBTQ movement from the 1960s to the present in the collection titled The Book of Pride, LGBTQ Heroes Who Changed the World. It's a stunning collection of interviews and compelling black and white photographs. An avid photographer herself, 
Julie and her wife recently returned from visiting South and Central America. Julie, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Michelle. Um, Yeah, for an old lady, I'm doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what my aunt always said whenever, you know, people would complain about the age, she'd say, you know what, it beats the hell out of the alternative. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So as long as we're here, you know, we can just sort of keep keep doing what we do, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I know, and, and at some point in time, you know, Often when I introduce you to people, I talk about your car. Well, Dr. J this and Dr. J that. And it's not because of your great basketball prowess. <laughs> but, you know, I remember back when we were at Michigan Equality, we had someone who worked in the office whose name was also Julie. So she was Julie P. and you were Dr. J. And it's just sort of stuck, you know. I mean, it really has stuck. Uh, and, you know, I watch what you do, and, I mean, you're just, there's no slowing down. You've retired more than once. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh You know, and I know it was interesting to me that, that, you know, that you had been in pastoral ministry for 20 years before you went to the university. And I see that, you know, you went to theological city. Feel, when did you feel that you had this calling to be in ministry and then how, after 20 years, were you able to step away from it? Yeah, I grew up as a preacher's kid, and so the last mm-hmm. thing I, I said, I, the last thing I'll ever be is a preacher, because, you know, you see it from the inside when you're a preacher kid. But mm-hmm. um, I was uh, working for the college I graduated from while Joanne was still finishing up. Uh, I was a year ahead of her. And so I was working in admissions, traveling a lot, and and I just uh, really felt, you know, God's uh, leaning to go to seminary and see what happens after that. And so I applied for to seminary and and received a, a presidential scholarship that paid for my seminary education, and that's kind of what led me into ministry. And I served an inner city church in Chicago a suburban Chicago church, and then a church uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wow. And then the transition to higher education came because I was teaching for Spring Arbor University as an adjunct while I was pastoring the church here in Grand Rapids. And when a job position came up, um, about a half dozen people tell you, that job's perfect for you. Um, it makes you stop and think, maybe I should apply for it, and I did, and, and got the job at the university. I mean, I mean, this was clearly something, I mean, you you felt that calling to be a minister, but it was, sounds like to me, you were a rock star at, at Spring Harbor. I mean, you you started all these programs, you were doing all of that, and did, did you agree with them after you got the job, like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? I I enjoyed doing what I was doing and and found that I had an aptitude for developing courses and developing curriculum and developing degree programs, and um, I I enjoyed doing that. I trained all the faculty in the adult education program for the 15 centers all over the state. So, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed what I was doing, had a wonderful boss, 
Um, she and I got along very well together and uh, you know, really enjoyed what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and that's old history, but, I mean, you went in there and, you know, you talked about it. I mean, it didn't sound like to me like you weren't trying to be stealth about that you were going to go through a transition. You didn't show up one day and go like, hey, you know. No, I didn't. That's what, you know, really. Uh, I mean, you know, you didn't. I mean, you were upfront about it. You talked about it. Yeah, we and, had my boss over for lunch, and um, she says, well, I, I, I think you want to tell me something. And I said, yeah, and I started to tell her, and she says, I already knew um, mm-hmm. that I was transgender. I had been at a reception for her um, uh, after a baptism, and uh, her daughter's a medical doctor and came up to my boss and said, um, Natalie, I, I think John, which was my name at the time, is transgender. And Natalie says, no, I don't think so. And Shelley, her daughter, said, uh, I'm 99% sure. And uh, if he is, he's going to need all the support that you can give him. And she said, he'll, he'll have it. And she was true to her word. But mm-hmm. felt she needed to tell her boss, who needed to tell her boss, who was the president of the university. So um, in December 2005, Joanne and I sat down with the president, and I had a letter from my doctor and uh, um, other information that I shared with him. And the initial response was pretty positive, but it wasn't too long before they began cutting my job responsibilities and um, gave me a contract that cut my pay by 20%. I guess if you're a woman, you're used to that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they actually kept me employed there for 18 months. You know, you had this calling, and you had done ministry, and you, and you had ministered to people. And, you know, we often hear, you know, this this ideal of Christianity. And here you are working at a Christian university and you'd had these conversations with them. And what was did that feel almost like a test of your faith to hear where you, you kind of sort of thought you you should be safe or find compassion or empathy and then it sort of went sideways? Great question. Yeah, you know, we hoped it would go well. Because uh, we were giving them, you know, all kinds of information to show that it was uh, something biological. You know, it wasn't a, mm-hmm. something you wake up one day and say, "I'm going to choose to do this." And um, and so we were we were hopeful, but I think part of it was the board's fear that uh, if news got out, uh, that would hurt donors. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that put pressure pressure on the president. And uh, it became pretty clear to us that, you know, they were looking for a way to get rid of me. And so we kind of beat them to the punch and uh, in October 2006 filed an EEOC complaint on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's just, like I said, you know, often, and isn't it, it seems like particularly as members of the LGBT community and that, we get so much pushback, so much yes. hatred from those who are supposed to be Christian. And, you know, and, and, and it almost like defies what yeah, you're and, raised and to believe. They, um, you know, of all people, Christians should be 
people of love, you know, and showing love uh-huh. and mercy and grace and and um, yeah, it's it's sad when that doesn't happen. But like many LGBT people, um, when I came out, it was a significant faith experience. When I mm-hmm. speak at colleges, universities, churches, I often say that it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we feel closer to God when we're seeking to be our authentic self. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened with me. Uh, my faith grew. Uh, and, you know, it, it was when one person transitions, if the marriage works, the other person has to transition in some ways, too. And so it was a faith journey for both jo- Joanne and I and really um, expanded our faith, grew our faith, and uh, um, really, really was meaningful to both of us. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really, I, I can see that because if you believe that God has a plan for you, this was the plan, you know, and, yeah. it, and that accepting it and to living it. And, you know, but you see so many people who are, have been so devastated by what their, the outcome yeah. from their church, but then they never go back. And it seems like often that's one of the big still challenges that our community has for many is reconciling what has happened from faith to them, not real, you know, and, and you want to remind them that, you know what, that wasn't God doing it. Those were those people who were concerned about donors, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when we moved um, to the Grand Rapids area, we found a wonderful church. It's a church that I had spoken at a few times, actually, and um, the first time Joanne and I walked in the doors before we ever met anybody, we just sensed that this was a pretty special place. And it's a church that uh, there's a number of, you know, very openly gay and lesbian people and transgender people. The pastor identifies as genderqueer, and, and she prefers plural pronouns, so they are married to uh, a trans mm-hmm. woman and have mm-hmm. a couple kids. And it's just just an unbelievably diverse, loving, very open and affirming congregation, which, in my mind, is what the church should be. Mm-hmm. You know, you have throughout, because I know, I mean, I knew of you before I had met you, okay? And there'd be many people who could understand that maybe you'd be angry you know, you might be bitter, but you weren't. And, like, you were this, this person who continued to want to give, to want to, to give to the community and also to take this experience and not be bitter from it, but, but have sort of help others and to go and to grow from it. What was your reception? Because the other thing that we also know that even within the LGB community, there can be transphobia. What was yeah. your, how, how were you ex- accepted? And when you came to that part, and because, you know, we were both board members at Michigan right. Equality, and it came time to do that, you know, what were your thoughts, you know, are, about that? I have never received anything but affirmation from the LGBT community, and I'm grateful for that because I know there have been some issues for some people, but... Um, I, yeah, I received invitations from PFLAG and, you know, a couple other boards to 
be actively engaged with with them and um you know i i took what positions i could uh in order to you know give whatever i could to help lgbt people go forward and so i wasn't just concerned about transgender people i kind of believe that we all need to sink or die together mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so yeah i i think our success individually is our success collectively as uh, LGBTQ people. And I enjoyed working at uh, what was then Michigan Equality with a mm-hmm. with a wonderful co-director. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. And you and I connected and, and, and had a good working relationship there. And I felt we were well-received, you know. And you as mm-hmm. a person of color and a le- lesbian, and me as a trans woman and lesbian, um, I, I really, in most situations, felt very much affirmed. And, you know, and I think that that was one of the things that I, that I thought was great, that as they were looking at it, uh, you know, here we both were, both uniquely qualified, and they were like, why not both? And we said, why not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> we did. And, yeah, and, it was, and it was like we were like, the dynamic duo, and I think that in some ways that we were able to open doors and and do things that we didn't. I still remember when it was a 4-H club who was, I guess, like the, the counselor or whatever, decided, like, she was, you know, she was in for a penny and for a pound, and she, and she got us both. And, you know, we back and forth together. I mean, it was just, like, so great, but I think that it, it opened the eye. Not only, like you said, you were the first transgender, I mean, in our state, of a, of a statewide organization, and here you were, and it was just like, you know, I think it made people look at things differently and think differently about our community, and we showed that we were a whole community. Yeah, I, and I think that was that was really so important at the time, and and. It, I really enjoyed the way that we would work together, even finishing each other's sentences. Sometimes, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was it was fun, and I enjoyed yeah. having you in classes when I was still teaching at mm-hmm. Lansing Community College. I went there and did some adjunct teaching after leaving Spring Arbor University, and enjoyed that a lot. And often the class that I well, the class that I taught the most was diversity in the workplace, and you would come in when we were talking about uh, uh, African-American uh, people, and, and you would let them, let them know what was going on, and I appreciated mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And we'd always start, start with dinner at the Thai restaurant. <laughs> it was just like, a, that <laughs> was did. our spot, you know, that was it, and we would do that. I mean, and, you know, how important is it to have those classes, because we would go into your, when I would come to your class, you would have kids who were from urban areas, kids who were from rural areas, and some of them were very up on what had happened as far as civil rights and got the connection between civil rights and LGBT rights. Some of them you could sort of see like this was like brand new. How important are those classes? I know. I applaud uh, Lansing Community College for requiring that course for business majors and nursing majors and I think uh, sociology majors as well because uh, it's so important. And, yeah, uh, some 
some had a hard time with it. In fact, one even filed a sexual harassment complaint against me because mm. he had to take a course about gay people. You know, that <laughs> included, included a week about that. But uh, uh-huh. that uh, that not only didn't fly, but LCC investigated and uh, disciplined him for filing a false complaint. But uh, yeah, that what happened in the five years I taught there was pretty phenomenal because I would ask students when we got to the week about LGBT. I, di- I didn't usually come out till that week, although by then some had guessed. Um, but I would ask how many knew somebody who was transgender. And in a class of 25, I'd get one or two. Five years later when I would ask that question, I would get half the class that knew somebody who was transgender. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, almost everybody by then knew someone who was gay or lesbian. So, um, yeah, I think change happened pretty rapidly um, in, the, in those five years um, from when I left Spring Arbor University to when I retired from, from teaching altogether. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think people telling their stories changes hearts and minds. You know, mm-hmm. I think you, you've heard me say that hate in the abstract is easy, but once you put a face to it, it's a lot harder. And, exactly. Uh, and you and others being willing to tell their stories, um, I think really, really helped um, change hearts and minds and, and move us a, a great step forward. Now, I have to say, I always tell people, you know, in these days now of the big gay wedding, I mean, it's sort of like you see people, I mean, I know people who have had like the destination wedding one year and the next year they're divorced, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and I'm just like shaking my head, you know. I'm just, I'm just looking at it. And when I sit back and I would, and I see you and Joanne. And, I mean, one of the things that I had always hoped would happen with legalizing same-sex marriage is that we as a community would be able to sort of say this is what it's really about. And you and Joanne have been together for 47 years. It sounds a long time when you say it that way. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, really, when you consider that some people can't make it for a year, you know. Yeah, and, you're right, but... Uh... We've just, um, you know, it was tough when I came out to her because, like I said, she had to go through a transition, too. And and for the longest time, you know, she didn't like the idea that people would be perceiving her as a lesbian because she didn't consider herself one. But now she can laugh when I say that she's not a lesbian. She just sleeps with one. So, you know, she's grown in, in her understanding of who she is and, and uh, how others perceive us doesn't bother her anymore. But, um, you know, when someone comes out as trans, to some extent the people that stay with them go through the grief process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a chapter in a book about grief that talks about how uh, people that are friends and family of LGBTQ people, when they come out, they have to grieve the loss of the person they thought you were before they can accept the person that you are. 
And so they go through that process, and some go through it quickly, and some don't get all the way through it and just get stuck Mm -hmm. in stages like denial or anger. But others are able to, you know, walk through that process and grow in the process and accept you for the person you are, recognizing you're still the same person. Mm -hmm. You know, you've just shared something different about who you are with them. And, you know, and that's the thing, because, you know, I've heard Joanne talk, and, and, you know, what comes to is, like, Joanne loved you. Yeah. And Joanne loved and still loves you and recognizes, yeah, this might not have been, like, the path or you don't look like the person who she initially met, but you are that person. And, you know, and it's like in any relationship people grow and evolve differently. I mean, and that's what I also want to tell people. I could go like, oh, you know, even I know heterosexual couples where it's like, oh, well, you know, after five years they were a different person. But, you know, how do you work and do that? And you two, I mean, this is a long time. You've been through a lot, but you've got three wonderful sons. You've got seven grandchildren. You still seem to like each other. (laughs) We do. You still seem to like each other. What do you think now, though? You know, I mean, you stuck to it. What do you think now have have been the – what has been the joys that you've seen since we got marriage equality, and what have been some of the things that you wish still would happen with that? Well, yeah, I wish – people would stop fighting against it for one, but mm-hmm. one of the joys has been to see um, loving couples be able to enjoy all the um, benefits, legal and social, of being married. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and in many ways, you know, the divorce rate among LGBT people is still less than it is against uh, in uh, non-LGBT people, so mm-hmm. you know, the uh, LGBT community is doing something right. And, you know, I, I think they're, in many ways, modeling love um, for a world that seems to have forgotten what love is all about. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really delight in seeing that. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I... I one of the beauties is I get to talk to, to LGBT people, and I was talking to someone from Canada, you know, and um, where they are, and, and you're going to love it, I learned something new. He said that, you know, they use LGBTQ2, the number oh. two, and the two is for two-spirited, I mean, which oh. is great. Mm-hmm. And, I have a um, story to tell you about that, but go ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, and I was talking to him. I said, you know, you know, Canada has been so far ahead. I remember when I had friends who went to Canada so they could get married. And, he, and you know, he said, well, one of the things that, that are about there is that they've gotten so many rights and protections and mm-hmm. been recognized in so many ways. And he was saying, like, he and his partner had been together a long time, but they didn't really plan on getting married. And I was going like, you know, we're here, you know, we have wanted to be married. And it was like, it, it gave, me some, gave me something to think about. It's like, hmm, you know, because he said what they wanted to be was to be accepted and have their, their relationships acknowledged 
just like anybody else's. And now, in many ways that it was, that he didn't feel the need to have that legal record, you know, recognition. Yeah, I think that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I, I can understand that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about you. Now, now tell me about your teeth. You know, had you ever heard that, though, the LGBTQ2? I've heard of two-spirited. That comes uh-huh. from Native American tribes for uh-huh. the most part. Mm-hmm. And in most Native American communities, the two-spirit or transgender people were considered um, honored. You know, they mm-hmm. were leaders in the councils and, and even leaders in battles sometimes. Not in every Native American culture, but in, in most. But anyways, mm-hmm. we were visiting the Native American Museum in Washington, D.C., and we agreed when we'd all meet up. Uh, later, and I went to the library, and there was nobody in there, a bank of computers there for when classrooms came in, and, and there was just the librarian, and I asked if um, they had any books that talked about two-spirited people in Native American culture, and he told me to sit down, went to the shelves, brought five books to me, and I said, how'd you know where they all were? He says, well, I purchased them, and I did my Ph.D., in uh-huh. two-spirited people in narrative American culture. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we talked for 20 minutes or a half hour, but it was just the most uh, serendipitous <laughs> kind of experience to, you know, have someone there that could answer my questions in, in ways that were even better than a book. I know. I mean, because, you know, um, Todd, who is, is, what is it, Métis, and that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's and he was talking about that. And then we almost got into this huge thing about how colonialism and how, how, how like you were saying, that two-spirited people, how they were lifted up and, and honored and were leaders and sought out for wisdom. And then colonialism came in, and suddenly it made, you know, homosexuality was, was this bad thing. And it was, like, so fascinating to, to hear him, him talk about, you know, about this. And they thought, well, that's a whole other conversation. But um, so many well, rights and things people that are been, happening. Yeah, LGBT people have been part of our cultures around the world for centuries. So it's you know, mm-hmm. not like we just came out from underneath the stone. Ellen came out, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, even during Creating Change, they had um, some people who um, – were from indigenous tribes here in Michigan who came out, and they, they wanted to have an important part to talk about that, too, because they were saying, like, and sometimes when we get to talking about LGBT history, we forget about that there were these people long before that there have always yeah. been two-spirited people. But, yeah. Julie, we're going to take our first break here, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more. So All I'll right. be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at 
thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. So, Julie, you retired from education, okay? You, you, left, uh, you, you left doing pastoral ministry. You went into education. You retired from education. You had one part of doing, like, LGBT advocacy, okay, along the way. You're a photographer. I love doing photography. It's, a, it's kind of a creative outlet for me, and, 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 and I like I think most art is a form of spiritual expression too, and so it's a bit, a little bit of that for me. Yeah, I have a uh, a blog, Julie Marie Picks P I C S, where uh-huh. I post uh, pictures, and recently I've posted some pictures from uh, Colombia, and uh-huh. uh, we'll be posting some from Guatemala later this week. But uh-huh. um, I like I like taking outdoor pictures mostly, and. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and enjoying catching pictures of different animals and, and things. And, yeah, it's, it's just fun. I had a former colleague from Spring Arbor University when we lived in Jackson that uh, she and I would go out. Um, we'd take turns driving, and whoever drove, the other one bought lunch. And we'd get in the morning and go out and just comb the countryside, look for dirt roads and see what we could find. So what took you to South America? Joanne had a um, <laughs> high school exchange student 50 mm-hmm. years ago, and uh, the exchange student was from Columbia, so we went to visit her, and she's a, still working as a trial attorney, both criminal and civil, and her husband's a retired admiral of the Navy of Columbia, including six years as admiral over the whole Navy and Columbia, and so they put us up in a little apartment in, in Cartagena, and we uh-huh. just enjoyed that city. It's got an old city and a new city and just a, a lot of history to it. And, and there's a uh, a bird sanctuary near there that we went to, and I got a lot of pictures of birds. Columbia has more uh, species of birds, different varieties than any other country in the world, so it was kind of fun to to see that. So that's what took us there. And then we went to Guatemala, where my brother lives. Um, and he plans on retiring in Antigua, Guatemala. So to see him and his wife and uh, his grandson and his daughter uh, was the other part of our trip. And we, we just had a good time. So when you were in um, Cartagena, because I've been to Colombia, I was in Cartagena, and my friends who were there were saying, you know, okay, it was a double, it was two things. First of all, Okay, LGBT, cool. Okay, but you know, just don't be too crazy with it. And I'm going like, well, yeah, what do you right. mean? don't be too, too crazy with it. And they said like, you know, they're just saying like, you know, well, no, we we have these rights, and, and you're okay. But you know, how did did you sense anything other? But I would say for the most part, the people were so welcoming and warm. Yes. You know, if someone yes. hadn't told me, I wouldn't know. You know. But how did you feel? How did you feel? Did you feel welcomed? I mean, was there any question as to 
your sexuality or did you feel the need to just like, okay, well, we're not going to hold hands here, Joanne, you know. How did you feel <laughs> traveling abroad as a gay couple? Um, I'm, I'm sure we got some second looks, but I never had anything hostile. And in general, um, both countries, people were very, very uh, gracious and and. and and kind and happy, and uh, shared that with us, and and we uh, we felt at peace. You know, it's, whenever you're traveling, you have you know once you learn about being trans or even just being a woman, you learn to be aware of your surroundings at all times mm-hmm. and uh, mindful of what's happening around you. But yeah, we we didn't have any negative experiences. Um, where we were, sadly, there were a lot of refugees from Venezuela, you know, people that left the violence and poverty in Venezuela and were mm-hmm. selling things on the beaches and stuff and trying to make a living for their family, and, and that was sad to see, but um, no negative experiences that I'm aware of. So, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. You've been, do you find that, I mean, and I don't see how anyone cannot feel compassionate towards this human rights situation, but particularly having gone through the path that you've done, and and you've, even though you weren't in the church, just by being who you are and how you've spoken to groups and to families, that you have ministered to many people. You've ministered to people about being different, accepting and loving those who are different. What is the message that you feel our community could add to this conversation, this xenophobic conversation, when when we hear people say, oh, we're coming up funding carloads and we don't want to. What, What can we add to that conversation just from the lives that we've led? Well, I think the first thing is just to help people understand that uh, civil rights are just basic human rights, um, that, you know, we're all part of one planet, we're all created by one God, and, and uh, we're brothers and sisters, even if we might look different um, and or speak different languages. But uh, we need to understand that um, that's who we are, that's what's expected, and, and I think from a religious perspective or spiritual perspective, that's what God expects of us, uh, to be agents of God's love, so to speak, um, and to share that love in a, in a way of being gracious and kind to people. And, and that really shouldn't be that difficult, but for some people apparently it is, and um, mm-hmm. that's sad. So I think that's one thing is that. I think another thing is just doing all we can to help people be able to experience their civil rights, you know, to do what we can for um, people that are oppressed, uh, wherever they might be oppressed and whoever they might be as the oppressed, and and help them uh, move out of that impression into celebrating um, the life that, uh, that they have and that God has given them. So, uh, yeah, there's still work to be done. And that's that's certainly for sure. 
But I think, you know, one of the things the LGBT community is, has done and is doing is recognizing that just getting their rights isn't enough. Mm. You know, helping helping other people understand that they have rights too and and helping them experience those is important. And, yeah, Joanne and I have worked with a number of couples that have gone, or one uh, member of the couple have gone through transition and tried to help marriages survive. Some have, you know, a few haven't. Um, I've actually worked with, got to stop and think, now, I think eight different pastors who um, were transgender, some deeply closeted, others in the process of coming out to their congregations and wondering what to be prepared for and how to do it. And, um, you know, just sharing from my experience as openly as I can. Um, gave them someone to talk with, someone to talk to uh, mm-hmm. about what they were going through. And, yeah, I, I think we all do what we can. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, whatever it is that we each can do to help lift each other up in this boat of humanity um, is worthy uh, worthy of doing. You know, and you do, and there's so many different ways because I can even see, you know, I've seen a lot of your pictures and they're just like, wow, the beauty of nature, you know, and, and that connecting with it. And that can also, you know, I can look at, I know I was looking at one picture, you had a bunch of tulips. I can look at these tulips and see the beauty of it, just like someone else. And that can be, I mean, you never know what will open up a conversation. You don't have to go in there and start with, you know, trans 101 or, you know, (laughs) hey, I'm here, I'm queer, and raise my flag. But sometimes it's that basic, simple thing. And like you said, you show up at places. You show up at places and you're accessible which can open the door to a conversation. Absolutely right. Yeah, mm-hmm. just being who you are and being ready for that conversation is huge. And mm-hmm. uh, given permission, people will ask questions. You know, uh, once they feel comfortable with you enough, um, they'll ask questions. And when I was speaking at colleges and universities and still when I speak at churches, um, I don't think I've ever had a question I refuse to answer. You know, um, people have varying degrees of understanding, and so you just have to accept that and and let them let them express what they want to express and ask what they want to ask. And having been in those situations with you, there's a way that you give permission to people to ask questions, the way that you you open up that conversation, I've seen it, it's like, I don't see how someone would, could, I mean, it'd be difficult for someone to come back being disrespectful, especially, I think, back to that time when we were with the, uh, these kids from, from the 4-H thing. Like, yeah. they asked, and you sort of, and you were very, you know, like you were open to talking to them. And it was great. And maybe, I don't think that if you had come in there any other way, they probably, it would have been a day at the Capitol, and then they would have left and again. But those young people left, like you said, they can go back and say, yes, I know someone who's transgender. Or if they hear someone talk about it, you know, they remember Dr. J, and it's sort of like, this is how it is. This is who we are. This is, we're part, she's part of our community. She came to my 4-H 
group and talk to us, you know, not just sort of pass this through. That was an interesting experience, and I'd almost forgotten about it until you reminded me of it. But, yeah, that was a fun day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And I, th- I, I, I think, you know, us telling our stories, being willing to share, that helps people grow, you know, because uh, some people just don't, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but are ignorant. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the things I learned on one of the boards I was on is, you know, there's three kinds of people. There's the, uh, the, um, the teachable. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I have to get that right. <laughs> and right. There's the people that are um, informed, uninformed, and uninformable. Mm-hmm. You know? And you can work with the uninformed and help them become informed. Uh, the uninformable is often a lot more difficult to help them understand that how un- uninformed they are, uh, and often they won't admit it. So that that's a whole different thing. But, yeah, different people have different levels of readiness when it comes to learning of just about any subject, but, um, but I think especially LGBT things. Now, you know... Right now, they're, I think they're supposed to vote soon on the Equality Act. And, Friday. Um, you know, and I had um, a friend of mine, Carter Brown, who's from Dallas. He's a trans man. He testified for it. I've talked to Kyler Brodus, um, and he talked about, you know, we've been doing this for a while and we haven't gotten it. And I also talked to, um, that's Kendra's last name. I can't think of what her last name is. But anyhow, she's in the military. And even when they had for the hearings on the Equality Act, when um, Carter was there and they had people from all parts of the community who were there talking about it. They had two women who talked about how the doctor didn't want to look at their, their, da- their child because they were lesbians. Carter talked about being fired when he was outed by, for being trans. Even after all of these, these litany of stories which showed that not asking for special rights, but we're asking for the same protections. You have people who wanted to come back to the trans issue and, you know, we're not going to be safe. Our children aren't going to be safe <laughs> in the bathroom. And the one who was, uh, who was it, somebody else who, who said, you know, well, women's sports, uh, uh, you know, they're going to have unfair advantage. Why? Do they keep yeah. coming back to to that? You know, you know, and you know, from your, you know, you've looked at it from all sides, and you've seen this. You've been involved. You just talked about those the people who who just can't learn. Okay, why do we still have those people, unfortunately, in Congress and in the Senate? But there's some people who are out there in the community who still have these. You know, who can't get over that, who can't see the fundamental civil rights that we are all entitled to, but still would be happy to throw trans people under the bus? Well, I I think some of it is fear of the unknown, and some of it is fear of change. You know, a fear-based life is a terrible way to live, but that's that's where some people are. You know, and, and if people would just take the time to learn the facts, they would understand that, you know, no trans person 
has attacked anyone or done anything untoward mm-hmm. in a bathroom. But it, in fact, they're they're more unsafe than people that aren't trans in the bathroom. So trans people in the bathroom are, you know, are at risk. And mm-hmm. uh, if they would understand that, understand the biological nature. Every time they do more and more research, they begin to understand more and more how being transgender or being gay or lesbian is something we're born with. You know, that's just who we are as persons. And um, mm-hmm. it's part of our personhood. And and it's not some choosing to be gay or choosing to be a lesbian or choosing to be trans. Um, in fact, you know, when you stop and think about it, would anybody choose this in terms of the abuse you often get uh, mm-hmm. sometimes from family or friends, former friends? And, uh, yeah, it's it's just about being authentically you and not living a lie and not, you know, trying to cover up who you are. Uh, living in a closet's a terrible place to live. And, you know, it's sort of like, in some ways it seems like our country is sort of, I don't know, needs, needs family therapy or something because, but on the same time, I mean, in fact, I, in fact, on the same day that they opened up these hearings, you had three lesbians elected as mayors, yeah. one in Chicago, okay? We've had trans women, men elected across the country to different things. I mean, so you've got a gay man. And a man bisexual now who's, senator. Exactly. You know, you, you know, yeah, know Kirsten. Yeah, we know her. You know, we know Kirsten. And, you know, you've got a gay man now who says he's going to run. He's running for president. So it's sort of like at some levels it seems like people are getting it, but the ones who still seem to be in control and keep getting elected back there don't get it. Well, one of the things that pains me the most is the fall of the evangelical church. When people Mm. like Franklin Graham can say the most mean-spirited things, and try to pretend that they're saying them in the name of God. Uh, it's just it's just so wrong, and and I'm you know embarrassed for the church, capital C, the uh, mm-hmm. not the denominations, but yeah, uh, it's it's sad, and I, I think it makes it hard to share um, the gospel, the good news of grace and love, and um, what God is doing in the world when you have people that are. There's no other word for it. Hate mongers, you know, uh, that uh, they just enjoy spilling out hate because it makes them feel better about who they are, I guess. I mean, and you wonder how do you expect to, I mean, they talk about how um, people who aren't going to church, young people who aren't interested in church, people who aren't going to, well, okay, one thing, just like now we know more adults who know somebody who's, LGBTQ, but a lot of kids have friends who they've grown up with who are trans, who are lesbian, who are gay, who are gay parents. And it's like, then they wonder, like, well, why would someone think of going here, you know, when when you're, you're spewing hate? I mean, it's right. just, like, phenomenal. I mean, it's like, you know, what's wrong with you, and how can you keep saying these things 
I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think one of the neatest things that's happened in the last, you know, five six years is the kids coming out. You know, it uh-huh. used to be college ages when they came out, then it was high school, now it's middle school. And uh-huh. some even before that, uh, as coming out as trans, usually it, it isn't until puberty hits that someone will come out as gay or lesbian. But, yeah, they're coming out younger and younger. And I, and I think that's healthier and healthier for them and healthier and healthier for our country because it helps people see that, you know, this is the way people are born. This is who they are as persons. It's so cool. It's like, you know, um, you know, stand for trans, stand with trans, yeah. which draws people. I mean, going from like, first of all, there's information online, but then now there's people who are supporting each other. So, you know, yeah. that when, you know, and I'll tell you, I have some friends who are straight. Mm-hmm. They're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And when they were talking about it, you know, um, she said, you know, Michelle, she was talking about the baby, and she was using they and them because mm-hmm. she and her husband had had the conversation about not wanting to saddle this child with gender expectations. They what they were concerned about was having a healthy baby, and I was like, and you know what? And I and I had not given them the speech, you know. I had not given. I had not given. I hadn't even addressed it, but it was just like she said. But she said, "I want to tell you something because I think you'll understand." And I said, "Yeah, I think it's wonderful, you know, because we've gotten we've gotten so much into it, you know, where." You know, you have to have these gender reveals and all like that. It's like, let the kid be born and be a kid. How much healthier and, right. and happier they were. But I was just, like, blown away, you know, that here were a young couple, and they had taken that to where when they went, they referred to the whole thing. When they went to see the doctor, their concern was, is the baby healthy? And right. they're still using they and them. Uh, and I'm like, Okay. Well, I look forward to meeting your child. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more and more couples are are doing that or similar things to try to um, not bring stereotypes into the into their home. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get, and you don't have to get freaked out if your little girl says I like girls. You know, if your little boy says <laughs> I right. like boys. You know, like that. As long as they're healthy and you allow them to explore, because. We all know, for those of us who, you know, had to go through the trials and tribulations, how many years were lost Yes. either trying to figure it out or trying to deny that part of ourselves? Yeah. What parent doesn't want a healthy and happy kid? You know, and that's, that should be all it's about, a healthy and happy kid. Uh, let them decide who they love and who they are and express that sel- themselves the way they want to. Um, yeah, you know, as a parent, you give them guidance, but ultimately all you're there to do is help them blossom into the person they are. So we've come a long way. We've got a long way yet to go. In this period of time, from the time from the spring harbor to what you're seeing, what is the most thing that you pinch yourself that you didn't think that you'd see happen? And what would you like to see continue to happen in our community? 
Well, the thing that's, that I, I'm really thrilled about is that more and more Christian denominations are ordaining LGBTQ people and calling LGBTQ people to be their pastors and their leaders. Um, I'm saddened about the likely split in the United Methodist Church, but mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of lot of growth happening in that way, and I think that is very very positive. And, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, more and more cities with gay mayors, or there's gay state or congressmen, and and even national congressmen uh, or women, and that's that's just exciting to see. You know, mm-hmm. normalizing. What should have been normal all along, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, is is healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our second break, and then I want to talk about this book, um, sure. which I think, which is, which is in some ways is important and builds on what we just, what we just talked about, what we've seen over the time, and what needs to be done. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking with my friend, my sister, <laughs> my sister, Dr. J, Julie Nemechek. Julie, I mean, I tell you, um, you are with Outwards now. Yes, I'm on the board of uh, Outwards Archive. Um, it's a, a project that was started by a man named Mason Funk, a gay uh, man who felt it was important to uh, memorialize some of the stories of uh, LGBTQ people um, mm-hmm. that have been involved in activism over the, you know, the last uh, 40 or 50 years or more. And um, he did video interviews all over the country. He contacted me and asked if he could do an interview with Joanne and I, and, and we have just had a good time meeting him, and um, they're releasing um, a book a week from today on, on May 21st um, entitled The Book of Pride. You can actually get it on Amazon or mm-hmm. at the Outwards Archive website, and uh, it's a production that's been put together in uh, conjunction with Harper and Rowe, It'll be. It'll have a big launch, and they're hoping it'll it'll do well. Obviously, but um, they're continuing the work and going to be putting more and more uh, of the video interviews and and some transcript interviews online, so that there's a there's a record and there's a um, an accessible record for people that are 
that are doing research. So um, it's, it's a great work, and I, I'm proud to be part of the board. And um, it's a you know an organization that's just getting started, so it has some growing pains, but it's also um, growing rapidly and and getting uh, a good deal of support. So more and more people are recognizing the need to archive our stories. You know, um, I saw that one of the people who um, is in there is Jim Toy, and yep. I, I attended his birthday party where he, he was so cool. He said, 88 was great, and 89 will be just fine. <laughs> you know, and, but Such a sharp mind. And, I know. But when you stop and you look at people like, like Jim Toy, um, yeah. Um, Andrea Jenkins had worked with, I want to say it was the Trotter Foundation, where she was going around and collecting the lives of uh, some trans elders. The other day yeah. I talked to, to Walter Nagel, who was Bayer Rustin's partner. And these people are getting older. These stories yeah. are part of our history. And we have young people who don't know this and how important it is to collect these stories. Well, and you know, the, this being the 50th anniversary year of Stonewall, I think it's even more significant uh, uh-huh. that the stories be uh, resurrected and retold and retold again and again, so that uh, you know people understand our past and can celebrate uh, the past and uh, recognize the milestones that have been achieved um, before we start taking it for granted. Once you do that, it's in danger of disappearing. You know, when we talk about marriage, um, I think I told you about um, there was um, Dr. DeBrea Watson had done a film of couples Mm. who had been together like for many, 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 many years, in part because she had been talking to some young lesbians who were talking about, you know, and now we can get married. They were going on and on about marriage, and she was like, you know, these people have been together many, many years, and they were like, well, how come we never hear about them? And that it was a different time. Like, we take for granted now that everybody can be out and about, you know, and do that. But one of the couples, they were like, they were both school teachers, and they lived side by side, but they maintained a separate address because if someone had found out that they were lesbians, you know, they could, I mean, you could literally lose your job. Absolutely and right. that part that people and then don't understand, and maybe even the irony of the fact that we still don't have an ENDA, you know, we still right. need an Equality Act, that this is not new, you know. Well, and it's so important in our history. I was in D.C. lobbying for that. Eleven years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. It, it, it's, I hope the vote. I think the vote will pass the House on Friday. Um, not us. Not so optimistic about the Senate, but one can hope. <laughs> the person in the White House has said, you know, she has issues with it. Yeah. I mean, so um, it's like. It's he better. has issues, period. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because, you know, I mean, really, I mean, we have a higher level of visibility. We're getting people elected in that. But it's so important to remember that the work still goes on. Absolutely right. Yeah. We're not done yet. 
This ain't heaven. <laughs> <laughs> really, you know, it's not heaven. So did you, were you um, just interviewed, or did you do any of the interviewing for the book? I was just interviewed. Um, Mason had different uh, videographers that he would meet in different parts of the country and would travel with them, and he'd set up appointments, and um, he, he did all the, all the interviewing. It's really been the labor of love for, by this one man, and uh, he's felt the need, of course, to uh, um, start an organization, get a board, and, and get a, a firmer foundation under it. But, uh, yeah, he, he, it was really his brainchild and, and his baby to, that he's brought to birth. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's being published by Harper Collins. Often, yeah. you know, I mean, that is, is big, too. I mean, you know, it's, like, so difficult, you know, People want to hear our stories, but then they want to. Um, how was that? You know, when you heard when he told you that it was going to happen, did you say, "Okay, well, good luck with that," or you know, <laughs> did he have enough enthusiasm and passion that you said, "You know, this is really going to get done"? Well, I thought it was a wonderful idea, and it was clear <laughs> that he that he had a passion for it. You know, uh, the book wasn't a good idea, not necessarily interviewing me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and when we met him, Joanne and I both really appreciated his spirit, and we shared some stories about common things in our past that was it was kind of fun to do. But, yeah, it's, it's he lives in California, and our board has got people in Texas and me in Michigan, so we mostly mm-hmm. convened by phone, but... We're going to try to get together once in the fall too, so yes. in person. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a neat organization, and I, I'm really mm-hmm. really happy to be part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like you said, collecting it and to have these people and to put it in the form of a book. I know I had talked to Tim Retzloff, and you know he had wrote his paper on it, but he talked about how at one point in time he had to you know go and go through boxes and to find it, and then to find people. You know, like you said, yes. um, he he spent. He said he had gotten to the point where he's spending some time in Florida because a lot of people from Michigan are now living in for, in Florida. That's right. And so to catch up with them at this time in their life when they have these stories to tell, uh, and not yeah, secondhand, I, thirdhand. Well, like I said earlier, you know, when people hear your stories, it changes hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. And that's why telling those stories is so important because people realize that, yeah, these are real people with real stories and real lives, and uh, we need to stand behind them and stand with them. Mm-hmm. So did you tell any secrets, and then you called your sons and said, don't let the kids see this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they know most everything about me by now anyways. <laughs> We keep learning uh, secrets about them, the things they did when they were in school, high school, and that we never knew about till later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, our kids have been supportive, and, and my family has been, my father was a Baptist minister, and when I came out to him, I did it by showing him a picture of me. I had not yet transitioned, but a picture in him and said, do you know who this is? He said, no. I said, that's me. And the first words hmm. out of his mouth were these, I don't see any problem with being transgender and Christian. Hmm. And hmm. that was pretty much exactly what I needed to hear from my dad. And, uh, yeah, uh, he he died 
shortly after I, I left, uh, well, while I was in the middle of the business with Spring Harbor University. So. Mm. But to have that, I mean, and that's a check. You know what? And that's parental love. That's unconditional love. That's, that, you know, this is my kid. You know? And yeah, I'm wrong with this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a Ph.D. in psychology, which probably helped. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was neat to hear it from be the first thing that he said. And uh, like any parent, he worries about his, you know, the, the dangers of, uh, of a child being LGBTQ. Because um, it's, you know, in some places still not a safe world. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty normal for a parent to do. So places like Trans Youth Family Allies and Stamina Trans, they're, they're doing a lot to alleviate some of that, some of that fear. But, you know, one of the things that's interesting, and, you know, and, you know, I heard it from Andre, I heard it from Tim, that there were some people who you would think that even, like, later in their life, they were like, uh, they, they've had people tell them their stories and say, well, you know what, wait until I die to, to, to yeah. publish it, you know. And, yeah. it was, and, he, and, they, and the thing is, it's like, when do you get that freedom of being out of the closet and, you know, to, to still have to carry that, you know, all along? What is the importance? Like, you know, your book, life has been pretty much an open book or a newspaper, you know. People yeah. know, know how it is. But having it out there, you know, what would you say to someone who might still be like, yeah, you know, everybody might know, but I don't want to just say it, and I don't want to tell that story. What would you, how would you encourage them, or what would you tell them they might get out of? You know, it's you can't make most, anybody. No, you can't mm-hmm. make anybody, but it's one of the most freeing and liberating uh, and invigorating life experiences just to be able to verbalize, you know, who you are and be open and honest about that and and even celebrate that. Um, and I, I think it's, it's it's such a freeing experience. I don't know what or how else to describe it, but there's a bit of uh, of joy there, you know, that's that's hard to hard to take away when you're able to really be who you are and live who you are. And uh, when I got my name legally changed, I was grinning from year to year all the way to the <laughs> Secretary of State's office to change my driver's license, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's it's those kinds of things that I, I think are, are good. You know, I, I think for an older generation, there's still fear of discrimination. Um, you know, even if someone's retired and living in a retirement community, um, being about who they uh, out about who they are um, may still have some vestiges of fear uh, that uh, hang hang with them, and and that could be why. But I encourage people to tell their stories. I said, you, you know, you're going to be surprising how liberating it is once you've done it. Now, you know, on the flip side, I have talked to younger members of the LGBT community who, especially since the 2016 election and see how things are going, are thinking that they shouldn't be, maybe they don't want to be quite that out. I even heard someone, had someone tell me that part of them wants to go back 
mm-hmm. in the closet because they don't feel safe anymore. Are there lessons to be learned from your story, the other stories in this book that could encourage them during these trying times? Yeah, I think one is recognizing that a closet is a terrible place to live, uh, and you, you miss out on a lot of what's in the world and joy that's in the world uh, when you retreat to a closet. And to some extent, if you retreat to the uh, closet, you're letting the other side win. You know, and I think we need to, it's kind of a cliche, we need to be out and proud and loud, you know, uh, telling mm-hmm. our stories and letting and not being ashamed of who we are or fearful for who we are. At the same time, I do recognize that, uh, yeah, that the current administration is generating a lot of hate that... Uh, it makes people fearful, and I and, and I understand that that response. But I, I I think fight it with all your being because I I don't think you'll regret being who you authentically are. Yeah, you know, and, and that and that that was really out of all the things that you that I had heard since that election, hearing someone say that yeah. that just I mean it just like breaks your heart like you know no don't do that you know you shouldn't and how do we it makes you want to be out more because there's strength in numbers and like you said when someone knows us you know so they might not know him but if they knew you if they knew me and then they heard someone going after them that it, maybe it would give our allies and that's what I think too about telling our stories and being out there it gives our allies the opportunity to do more than sit back and say, you know, I'm all about, I, I believe in equal rights. It gives them the opportunity to stand up for us. Stand up and speak up. Yeah, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think their stories can change hearts and minds too. You know, mm-hmm. how they grew in their understanding of what LGBTQ2 uh, is and, you know, what the, that's all about and, how they came to grow in their understanding and their acceptance, even if they considered themselves accepting to begin with, their stories are important too. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, and you never know. I mean, because people think, oh, well, they wouldn't know. You know, we don't, have, we don't have little ghettos that we live in. You know, we don't stay too all to ourselves. You know, everyone no. probably has someone who's queer in their family, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, to, and to encourage them to have that space to be there because maybe your uncle, your aunt isn't being their full selves and what a, an important person that could be in somebody else's life. You never know, you know, That's right. but because you're hiding in that closet now that, you know, you've retired a couple of times, <laughs> um, you, you, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to get to the point to one day I can retire. You retired, retired a couple of times. When you, you know, one of the other areas that we talk often talk about LGBTQ youth and there's still problems with homelessness, there's still problems with suicide, there's still problems with bullying, but our elders also, you know, life isn't always so easy for them and often some of those are the ones as they start to look at places where they're going to go live and they're wondering if they'll have to go back in, their, in the closet. You see mm-hmm. some who, 
you know, once you get past that point where, you know, you're not hitting the club anymore, who self-isolate? You know, having retired and you're still enjoying and living your life, what is your message to our elders? Yeah, I, I think coming alongside the next generation is an important thing, doing what you can to help them. Because, um, you, you know, as elders in the LGBT community, we've gone through some things that they'll probably never have to go through uh, but because of the strides that have been made. But helping them understand that history, helping them look at what horizons they can strive to, uh, to gain, um, I think is important. The other side is that um, one of the things that's happening is that there are more and more LGBTQ retirement communities springing up all over the country. Um, and so there are you know, retirement facilities and places that are designed specifically with um, the LGBTQ community in mind to be a place where it's safe for them to be out and proud and who they are. So um, that's a neat thing that's happening, too. So mm-hmm. hopefully nobody will be afraid to be living authentically because, like I said, that's not a fun place to be. Do you think there's a, a need for those of us with our AARP cards and older to mobilize and be more out? Because, I mean, yeah, okay, marriage is here now, but some of us who weren't able to get married, you know, there's some people um, – like I met a lesbian couple who were older, but they hadn't gotten married yet because at one point in time they had been married to men and they knew that if they got married, they wouldn't be entitled to those pensions. I mean, that financial end, I mean, that's yeah, real. Yeah. I mean, and there are other things, you know, and also like we don't all want to to go home and, and just sit and read. and We want to get out and have lives, but things have to be accessible. They have to do that. Is there a need for... Uh, a LGBT elder movement to bring these things to the forefront? I think there is, and there's some groups like SAGE that are, mm-hmm. you know, working with um, uh, elder members of the uh, LGBT community to help them give, have a voice. I, I think uh, being your own voice is important, too, you know, volunteering and, and going places where you can... Um, tell your story i you know i'm retired but i still speak at various churches and different functions and stuff uh as i'm able and and um, you know doing each of us doing what we can you know and and i think not everybody is suited for doing public speaking i've been doing it since i was a little kid so you know i can't remember the last time i was nervous but For others, it, it you know it's it's not uh, it's not their cup of tea. But there's all there's things we can do volunteering at places like affirmations or um, your local uh, pride center. Um, you know, little things like that can make a, a huge difference in someone's someone's life. Well, I know you're not letting any any dust settle. Um, you travel. <laughs> you've got your photography. You're in a book. Uh, you're on a, you're still on board and you're still speaking uh and you're going you know you're going strong with the beautiful Joanne <laughs> and, uh, um 
So what's next for Julie Nemechek? Where am I going to find you, see you on Facebook heading or, or doing? Yeah, we're both on Facebook. Uh, you can find us there, and we'll keep uh, updating our stories. Uh, Joanne is uh, um, in the midst of opening up a private practice in Grand Rapids mm. uh, to work with transgender people and their families. She went back, I don't know if you knew this, so she went back to school and got a second bachelor's. She got a bachelor's in social work, actually from Spring Arbor University after I'd left, mm-hmm. and, uh, which was interesting because she got a chance to tell our story in a lot of her classes. But then she went to MSU, Michigan State University, and got her master's in social work just after she turned 60. So she's been working as a therapist. Uh-huh for six or seven years, and and her goal has always been to open up a part-time practice that focuses on transgender people and their families. Wow. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What did you think? I mean, here you are, like, sort of like, okay, and she said, well, I'm going to open up this part-time practice. Uh, And she's been right there with you. When she's going back to school and all that, was it kind of cool for you to be, you know, Hey, you could do this. Go was, take those classes. I'm, I'm very proud of her. Uh, uh-huh. She was she was not a stellar student in her first degree, but when mm-hmm. she went back to school as an adult learner, both at Spring Harbor University and then at MSU, she got nothing but A's. So she um, she's done done well, and uh, I couldn't be more proud of her. That is great. You know. One of the things that um, when I listen to you talk, I hear no regrets. None. Mm-hmm. None. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, people often ask, you know, if you knew what you knew now, would you do it again? I said, absolutely. You know, uh, it's um, living an authentic life is what life is all about, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you're living a lie... Are you really living, you know? And, and so that's, I, I have absolutely no regrets. Other than, you know, I met some of my colleagues, but I've maintained friendships with a lot of them from Spring River mm-hmm. University as well. So um, it's all good. How is that? You know, what, what's that like? You know, I mean, they know what all has gone down. <laughs> They're still there. You said that, are you able to talk about it? Yeah. About one of the things that the university wanted me to do was uh, have counseling from a Christian counselor. And so I did. I, I met with this counselor over the summer who happened to be an alumnus, or not an alumnus, but a emeritus faculty member from Spring Harbor University and was still doing adjunct work for them. And he wrote the university that he didn't see any problem with me being transgender and a Christian and being able to do my job at the university. So mm-hmm. it kind of backfired on him. But um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, he's one of many friends that have remained friends through the whole process and others have done so quietly for fear of retribution, but uh, some have been very open in their support. And um, the students were awesome. They, they developed a kind of an underground group that was uh, in support of me and, and encouraged each other. And, it's, you know, like any other school, there's a lot of LGBTQ um, alumni from Spring Harbor University. So, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to admit that, but there's a large group. So, and how you want to say? You know, there's a lot of Christians who are LGBTQ. You know, Absolutely. and you know, and who come there, who go there, and you know, didn't give that up. You know, so. Well, Julie, I want to thank you for being my friend. Okay, for being my friend for letting me in your life. I mean, it was, like I said, you're like my sister. We came to work together and, you know, I was in your life and remain in your life. I don't, I haven't seen you as much as I'd like to, but we'll go work on that. But I appreciate you. Uh, Relationship goals. I I tell Ojet every time, Julie and Joanne. Hey, uh, because I had told him, I said, they've been married a long time. I said, 47 years. I'm just telling you here. And I said, these are relationship goals, you know, good times and bad, you know. Uh, So, Ari, I think that that I am honored to know you. Michelle, I I consider you one of my dearest friends and and always will. And uh, Mm -hmm. enjoyed catching up a little bit with you and and, uh, enjoyed our time together. Okay, well, I will talk to you soon. I'm waiting for I've ordered my book. And when I see you, oh, you get, you get to autograph it for me. Yay! I'll be glad to. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, you know, lunch, dinner, sometime real soon. Absolutely. Okay, and, and give Joanne my love. I will do that, and our love to you. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. I want to thank today's guest, the Reverend Dr. Julie Nemechek. She and her wife, Joanne, are featured in the recently released collection of stories of 75 leaders and activists on the front lines of the LGBTQ movement from the 1960s to the present. I want to thank today's guest, the Reverend Dr. Julie Nemechek. She and her wife, Joanne, are featured in the recently released collection of stories of 75 leaders and activists on the front lines of the LGBTQ movement from the 1960s to the present. The Book of Pride, LGBTQ Heroes Who Changed the World, is a stunning collection of interviews and compelling black and white photographs. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.